The Extremist Publishing Podcast is endorsed by Heart 200, Scotland's most exciting road trip. Find out more at heart200.scot. to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie. It's my great pleasure to be joined today by Professor Joy Hendry. Joy is Professor Emerita in Anthropology at Oxford Brookes University and is one of Europe's best respected experts on Japanese culture, having been decorated for her academic research in the UK, Europe and in Japan. Today Joy is going to be discussing with us her book An Affair with a Village, in which she explains her time spent in the Japanese village of Kurotsuchi from the 1970s until the present day. Joy, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Now, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the initial idea behind your project. Where did the book come from? Well, it's um, a book I started to write 45 years ago, and it tells the story of my... 45-year relationship with the village and uh, the first visit I made there I spent I stayed for a year and it was to do field work for my doctoral thesis because in those days that's what we did to learn about anthropology we went and stayed in one place for a year and got to know the people really well and the year was important because you went through the ritual cycle through all the seasons and you could see all the things that happened Um, And so I've obviously got to know people very well and I chose a village of 54 houses so that I would be able to um, get to know the members of each family. And my subject was marriage, so um, I was able to go to a few weddings and talk to people about their marriages and different generations would explain to me how things had changed. And then over the years since then, I've been keeping in touch with them. One of the things that's been important is that there have been various changes in village life and in family life so I would go back and look at that and um, just to keep in touch I've uh, been going back so the book tells the story of first of all how I was there and um, what I was doing and how I got to know people and then over the period of the 45 years the times I've been back the changes that have happened and um, the reason I finally got it into print <laughs> is uh, because um I'd collected a lot of materials, the the most um, significant really being a sort of family tree for the whole village, so how everyone in the village was related to everybody else. And I'd had that sitting on the top of my bookcase for all these years, getting dusty. And I got it out and I thought, they'd probably like to have this in the village and there's no point in me just leaving it here, no one else is going to want it. So I I managed to raise some money from the Daiwa Anglo-Japanese Foundation to take the thing back. And I uh, went back and they had a little ceremony and I handed it over and and I thought this might be the last time I go because um, actually I had no idea we were going to have a lockdown afterwards but even so it was 45 years altogether that I'd been going back. Um, and so 
I got the book out that I'd started after my very first visit. Um, actually, the, I should perhaps explain that the book tells the story of how an anthropologist does their fieldwork. And over the years, I've, I've published lots of things explaining what I discovered and what the Japanese people in the village were like and how the village worked and all sorts of other things. But this tells the story behind the anthropology. And uh, to get this money from the Daiwa Foundation, I had to agree to write the book, to finish the book, which I started 45 years ago. So this is the result of the um, completed 45-year story, or affair, as I called it. Now, Japanese culture fascinates people the world over. Um, one thinks of Akira Kurosawa, anime animations. There are just so many contributions that Japan has made to world culture. How did you come to be so interested in Japanese culture and society that you decided to make it the focus of your academic research? Yes, it's um, actually it's a really good question because I... I have several answers, but I think the most important one was I went to Montreal in 1967 to the Expo, World Expo. There was a World Fair, I think they also call them. And um, I really loved it, the way that cultures were putting themselves on display by building pavilions and presenting things inside the pavilion. And um, the Japanese pavilion was stunning. It was really interesting, and I liked that. But then they were going to have the next World Expo. They used to have them every three years um, in Japan, in Osaka. And I liked the whole arrangement so much. And I hadn't really decided what I was going to do with my life. I hadn't yet become an anthropologist. So I thought, I'll learn Japanese and then apply for a job in the pavilion. Um, uh, no, I was going to apply for a job in the British pavilion and explain British culture in Japanese to the visitors, was my idea. So I did start um, learning Japanese and became increasingly fascinated with Japan through learning the language. And uh, when I wrote to the British <laughs> pavilion organisers and said, um, would you like me to come and work for you? I can, I'm learning Japanese. They wrote back and said, no, thank you very much. We have people with degrees in Japanese and we're, we're doing fine. So I never did work in the British pavilion in Japan. But because I learned Japanese, I wanted to go there and... Uh, that's where I decided eventually, once I'd also studied anthropology, to do my main field work. Now, I, I realise this will be a, a rather wide-ranging question, given the breadth of your research over the years, but what would you say were the main cultural observations that you made when you were spending time living in rural Japan? Yes, that's, that is a very difficult question to answer quickly, because I have written several books about Japan now, including... Um, a one called Understanding Japanese Society, which gets updated every few years. Um, but, well, one of, let's think of a few things. One thing that's really um, important to understand is that wherever you are and however different the cultural uh, life is and aspects of society and family, that human beings are human beings. And if you find a way to get along with people that they accept, then then they'll get along with you. And that that's, that's really important. But the second very important thing is that however um, much you interact with people human to human, they will have different expectations. And only by staying there for um, a long time can you get a deep understanding of how other people think about things. And Japanese is a language which everyone learns all over the country 
all Japanese people are, of course, not the same, but they all share a language that they learn and, and, and then from their parents and then at school and through their education. Um, and so they have different ways of thinking about things that, that you really need to understand if you're going to get along with people. So that's what I, was, what I was doing. I was learning how to think in Japanese and how to think about the family. And I can give one example of the family. Japanese people, even back then, were quite worried to say, oh, but our family is just the same as yours. You know, we have parents and children and grandparents. And, um, and then uh, one day when um, a man who was only 37 died in, in the village, I really got a, a deep understanding about how that affected the family. And, and they thought about the family as a continuity through generations. And the man who was 37 was going to be the one who inherited the house from his parents, who were still there, and would hand it on to his children. But because he was the crucial, the linchpin, if you like, there's a Japanese word, actually. He's called the main post, the daikokubashira. Um, because he died, it threw the whole system into chaos. And people talking about that made me understand something which I could have been there for the whole year and not understood if that hadn't happened because I immediately thought of poor children, poor wife, poor granny, you know, poor mother. But that wasn't the way people talked about it. And so that gave me a, an understanding that went beyond just getting to know people and thinking about how they might be suffering. Well, it must be said, from reading your book, I found it to be full of really interesting cultural observations, interesting encounters and really fascinating people. Um, could you tell us about some of the more memorable experiences that took place during that initial period spent in the village? Yeah, I mean, one thing that was really... Um, uh, and this doesn't happen everywhere in the world, but this was the fact. Doing research in Japan, people were always willing to help. They were always... They were kind. They were generous in that they would... I would hardly leave the village. I had a bicycle, and I would cycle in and out of the village because our house was just outside, and I had my husband there. and I would cycle in in the morning and do my work all day and sometimes into the evenings and I would rarely cycle back with an empty bicycle basket because people would just pop things in so the man who was growing oranges would put a few oranges in and people put vegetables in and uh, flowers whatever they happened to have so they were very generous and kind and I think they liked the fact that I'd chosen that village because people from other villages would come by and say why have you chosen this village why haven't you come to ours so I had immense cooperation from the beginning. And that's not the case in other parts of the world. Sometimes people don't like anthropologists being there. So that was one thing that was, that was memorable. Um, another thing was uh, that um, people almost competed to be part of what I was doing. So they wanted to, that once they started asking me to stay, for example, to see what it was like staying over in their houses, I got all these invitations to stay in people's houses, which was incredibly helpful because I could see not only what people told me, but how they lived in their houses overnight and in the morning. And, you know, I would be, I could go out and work with them and do things with them. And to, to be invited to do that was, I think, a great privilege. You returned to the village on a number of occasions in the years following the completion of your PhD. What kind of changes did you find there over the passing decades? There are two things, really. There's one thing that people, Japanese sociologists, are always writing about change. And one of the things I found by going back was that the sociologists, 
didn't always get their anticipation of what was happening right. So the family, for example, when I first went there, many of the families were continuing families, so there'd be houses with three generations, and they would expect to pass it on to the next generation. And the number of houses that still do that has diminished over the years. So that's one major change. Now, the Japanese sociologists were saying from the beginning, oh, we're all going to have nuclear families, this continuing family is not going to exist anymore. But in fact, what's happened is they take their statistics by looking at how many people are living in a house. Um, and one of the things that happened is that people started building an extra house next to their main house for the young couple. So they would be classified as two separate houses, but they would be so close that they would be working together and doing festivals and ceremonies together. And just because they weren't sleeping in the same house didn't mean that they weren't living as a continuing family. So that was a really interesting thing that I discovered over the years, that I was looking at the way Japanese expected things to change and finding that actually it was slightly different when you're going back and, and have a long-term relationship with people. Well, one thing that's very clear from the book is the number of amazing friendships that you forged with the villagers. How have these friendships developed over the years? Yes, that's... Well, of course, people have... We've all grown old, old together. <laughs> well, not necessarily all of us, because not, not everyone was my age, but the people who were the same age as I was when I was there, um, we've, we've grown up, we've got married, we've had children, we've gone through the various stages of life, and... Um, We've, we've, I was trying to find out about the three generations when I was there and people who had time to talk to me were often the oldest people so um, I would get to know them quite well but then going back over the years I would build up a better relationship or a different relationship with the younger people in the family who I hadn't known so well so that's one example but the main, the main family that I got to know better than any others was the one that lived next door to me and their daughters, who were just at school when I was there, um, and their son have, um, well, actually, not the second daughter. So the, the first daughter came to visit me. She was the very first visitor to come to um, both England, where I was working, and Scotland, to this very house where, I, where we are now. And um, then I've stayed in her different houses when she got married and moved and... That, that family's son as well. He was a two-year-old when I was doing the first field work. And he and his wife have been here and I've stayed with them. And So I've seen them change over over time and we've we've gone through various procedures. So, we, you know, we can it, it, it compare notes about bringing up children. And actually that was a project I did later. I was looking at marriage that time and then I went back and did another project on looking at how people bring up children. And I did it in a different place completely separate place in Japan where about a um, thousand miles away so uh, the local culture was different but I went back to the village and talked to people about how they were bringing up their children there and because I'd got age mates if you like people of the same age we could compare notes about our very own children and I took my children back with me so that time they were they were there running around playing with the, the children of the same age and, and we could and I could chat to the mothers. and So that, that was the way that we got to know each other very well. And the family that I probably got to know, well, apart from the neighbours, <clears throat> the family um, in the village that I have 
kept in touch with and got to know probably better than any others is the family of the carpenter who came to build a Japanese room in Oxford Brooks University. And he brought his son and it took three weeks to put it all together. We talked about it in Japan, we made a plan in Japan, we bought the wood in Japan, they sent it over and then he came and stayed in my house in Oxford because he doesn't speak, he speaks almost no English. So he wanted to stay with me rather than in a hotel where he might have to try and speak English. And, um, and so they stayed with us and it was just great because his wife and I think a cousin came and we did a bit of sightseeing and tourism as well. Um, and because we were all staying together in that close, pro pro close proximity, we got to know each other really well. I don't actually stay with them when I go back. I stay with the neighbours, who are my closest family, really. But um, the people who, um, uh, the family of the carpenter always invite me and visit and, you know, we eat together and so on. Yes, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, you do, you do explain in your book about people who've come from the village to the UK um, to visit you here. Um, did you get much of an impression of what their observations were of British culture? Oh yes, they always um, we always compare notes and explain things. The, um, the 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 people of approximately my age who lived next door who came to stay didn't adapt very much so I really had to adapt when they were in Scotland especially to 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 let them live as they wanted I mean they came into can I describe the room we're sitting in we're sitting in the, the main living room of my house and it's quite big and when people come to stay this sofa we're sitting on becomes a bed now this Japanese family did felt uncomfortable being in such a big room and so behind the sofa between here and the window there's a space which is not very big, it's a window seat and you can sit there and, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's quite small. And they settled in that area as if to make it their own little space. So they adapted. And, I mean, I adapted to them and they adapted to, to being here. And we ate fish every day, the whole time they were here because they, don't, they didn't want to eat meat and they loved fish. And incidentally, I noticed that eating fish every day does help with meal memory. <laughs> And whereas their son, who came with his wife, who's Korean incidentally, they came and they wanted to do everything Scottish that they could do. So we had to go, we went to, um, uh, we went and visited various sites and he wanted to buy a tweed jacket and a deer stalker and he even bought a bandsman's um, raincoat that, that people wear over their bagpipes <laughs> because he wanted to be very Scottish and they tried everything they tried haggis they loved haggis they loved whiskey and they made me buy a huge uh, haggis for them to send back to Japan <laughs> and sent pictures when they got back so you know it depends obviously on the on the person but um, people had different reactions that's just giving you two examples but the and the carpenter and his wife and son and you know the four of us went would go out um, and when we went to a pub, because we thought we'll show them what... This is in England, not near Oxford. Um, they, they wanted to... Um, and we got the menu to eat in the pub. They said, well, let's have a little bit of that and a little bit of that and try things, put it on the table and try things out, as one does in a Chinese restaurant or in a Japanese restaurant in Japan. So that was a kind of interesting experience that, that we had. They wanted, to, they wanted to know what the different foods were like. But the way we did it was adapting a sort of Japanese method of putting things on the table and trying 
you know, so there was a plate of fish and chips and a plate of spaghetti bolognese and different things that the pub offered. Yeah, I mean, that must have been an interesting experience for them because I think of things like Iron Brew and uh, Deep Fried Mars Bars where there doesn't seem to be any kind of correlation in Japanese cuisine for these things. <laughs> no, there isn't. Um, no, but they have their own weird things. I mean, um, the, the thing that Japanese love to give you for breakfast, which they think you'll hate, is a kind of fermented bean paste called natto. And I actually quite like it, but when you pick it up with your chopsticks, it smells rather horrible. And if you put it in your mouth and then eat it, it's fine. But apparently many people are put off by the smell. So, you know, we've got a deep-fried Mars bar type of thing. <laughs> I can't say I've ever eaten a deep-fried Mars bar, deep Mars bar myself, but they've got things that they, they do. Actually, one thing um, is that people tried with me once in a bar, because they have these bars which are where you eat, you eat, you go, and you mainly you're drinking, but they bring all sorts of food to try, just as the pub did for us on that day. Um, and one thing that somebody said, now, one of the things we like to do is eat a raw egg. And an egg would come along and he'd go, take the, the egg, the raw, whole raw egg with his chopsticks. And, <laughs> Can you do that? He said, you foreigners can't do that. I, I have to say I did. I was always up for a challenge to do things, but it was disgusting. <laughs> what would you say is the most important thing that people should take away from your book and the changes in Japanese culture that you observe in the years since your initial visit? to Kurotsuchi? Um, well, I uh, the, take the first part of that question first. Um, I would like people to realise how good anthropology is as a subject to get to know people really well because many different um, disciplines do research in Japan. So people who are doing international relations go, or you know, different subjects they go. But there's nobody who goes and spends a whole year in one place to find out about people. And, and doing it, and my experience of doing it, and the description in the book, shows that you can't immediately learn something. You know, but you only learn things in depth by spending a long time. And an example I used to give my students, which I'll tell you just to give you an idea of what I mean, was that um, when I first arrived, I met the head of the village. And he said, what are you going to be looking at? And I said, well, I'm interested in marriage and <clears throat> the ways people meet and come together to get married. And th at the time in Japan, there was a big dichotomy between what they called love marriage, then I, and um, arranged marriages, which were called mi-ai, because a mi-ai is a meeting that parents, well, actually a go-between would arrange to, to, to bring people together, just to see each other, and then they could decide whether they wanted to marry. And, and when I said that this is what I was going to be looking at, he said, um, oh yes, he said, Renai, that's the, the love marriage. And he looked at his wife and almost sort of winked and said, oh yes, we have one like that, he said, about himself and his wife. And I think it was because he knew that's what we had in our country. Because much later, um, I discovered that he opposed the idea that his daughter brought to him of marrying someone she'd fallen in love with. He said, no, 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 you can't do that. Um, and then uh, I actually heard him even later telling his friends how detrimental to relationships he thought, or to families, he thought a love marriage was. Um, the good news is that the daughter did manage to find someone to introduce her to the man she wanted to marry, as if they hadn't met. 
And the father then went, oh, yes, of course, he seems a perfectly fine chap. And they did, they did marry. So, But that, you know, I would not to take his first reaction to, oh, yeah, we, we love marriages, we have those, and, you know, his wife. <laughs> and he would smile at each other. And then discover that he was actually against them over the period of several months. Well, it would be remiss of me not to ask, given your many anthropological and sociological observations of, of life in Japan and, and Kurotsuchi in particular, what do you think the future holds for the village in the decades to come? Yes, that's, actually that's a very good question because many villages are being abandoned, or have been abandoned, let's put it that way, um, as people go to work in the city. And when I was there... There were young people going off to work in the city, but they tended to come back when I first went there. And then over the years, they haven't been coming back. And as children got better educated, um, when the old ladies, when I was first there, were educated. They could write me letters, um, lovely letters, beautiful letters, with very complicated Japanese kanji script, which I uh, would have sometimes to get Japanese people to help me to read. <laughs> Um, but then they didn't stay in school after that, so they'd leave after six years or something. Whereas by the time I went there, their grandchildren were beginning to go to university. And if they went to university, then they tended not to want to come back and look after the farm. They wanted to do something else. So um, there, there were people leaving and staying away. But many people were still coming back, so the village was operating quite well. And over the years... Many villages all over Japan have become um, uh, quite abandoned by, as the young people go and the old people die. But I have to say that um, a new thing that's occurred, especially since the, the big tsunami in 2011, is that uh, many people went up to that rural area of Japan to help. Um, and they went from the cities. They discovered that life in the country was actually quite enjoyable and so some of them started settling and two or three anthropologists are now looking at a return I mean people have always talked about how the return is important to the country but what's happening now is people can go and live in the country miles from the city and they can communicate using the internet you know they don't have to be in their offices as we've discovered over lockdown so I think I don't I'm not too despondent about especially that village because they have good they grow chrysanthemums which do really well they grow tea which has done tremendously well they now have the tea which has been classed as the second best in japan coming from that area um and so they um they do have an economy which is doing well and the people who've focused on growing chrysanthemums have gradually increased the size of their greenhouses and the number of they employ people to work for them which they never did at the beginning it was just the family at the beginning. Uh, so I think that particular village will continue to thrive. It's got people who do business who live there, as well as the um, horticulturalists. But um, I think and other parts of Japan are dis uh, seeing a bit of a renaissance as well. I mean, it's so beautiful. Mm. Rural Japan is very, very beautiful. And like Scotland, you know, people want to be in beautiful places if they can. Um, uh, once they've got past the excitement of living in a city for a while. So I, I don't, I'm not too despondent. I think that rural Japan, that particular area in, anyway, but rural Japan in general will probably be all right. <laughs> I don't know. That's not a very good place to end the sentence, is it? Um, but anyway, that part of Japan is, 
is probably going to be fine. Well, Joy, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Uh, I very much enjoyed your book. I found that it illuminated a really fascinating community uh, and brought alive many interesting cultural observations about uh, a society that has really brought so much to the world, um, artistically, creatively, uh, and in so many other ways. Thank you very much for having joined us today. Well, thank you for inviting me again. An Affair with a Village is available to buy from all good online retailers and independent bookshops worldwide. Thanks for joining us today. I hope that you'll tune in again soon. If you would like to find out more about advertising on the Extremist Publishing Podcast, please visit their website at www.extremistpublishing.com for details.